0: Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite in fantasy fiction, and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your
1: next great read. Hello, and welcome to our newest episode of Literary Quest. We're going to be talking about War Storm by Victoria Aveyard. It is the last in the Red Queen Queen series, (laughs) and I'm going to start out with the character descriptions uh, today and Marissa will pick up with the plot. Um, There were a lot of new characters that only showed up for a little bit of time, so I cut it down to just the important new characters. One of the first ones that we meet is Ibram, one third of the triplets, his brothers are rash and to hear. He is in new blood and is able to speak telepathically to his brothers. This comes in handy when Maven has to hear and they are able to use the brothers to talk with Maven from a safe distance. Tiora Signet, Iris's sister, and the next in line to rule the Lakelands. Zenra Signet, Iris's mother, queen of the lakelands. She is a powerful nymph and very clever. She cares greatly about her daughters and wants to keep them close. She does not like Iris being married to Maven and schemes with others to get revenge for her husband and to get her daughter back. She's described as having caramel brown skin, straight black hair, and mahogany eyes. Jadansa of the Marin line, a family friend of Iris's, she is a telkey and one of the best in the Lakelands. She used to amuse Iris and her sister with her powers when they were children. She is described as having a lined face, white hair, and matronly disposition. Prince Bracken, the ruling prince of Piedmont. Montfort kidnapped his young children in order to get supplies from Piedmont. He allies with Maven in order to get his children freed. He is described as tall, black-skinned, with a smooth complexion, full lips, and eyes like two polished stones of jet. He is a mimic. If he touches someone, he can use their ability for a short period of time. Carmadon, a silver that Mayor meets in Montfort. He likes to cook. He is a green warden and Premier Davidson's husband. Rem Rambos, a silver who is a strong arm. He is Lord of House Rambos and Governor of the Beacon Region. He swears fealty to Cal after the Harbor Bay attack. We also spend a lot of time in a new location, Montfort, or it's also called the Free Republic of Montfort. It was formed when several smaller mountain kingdoms, ruled by silvers, collapsed after civil uprising. Before the uprising, it was similar to the other kingdoms in terms of power structure and the oppression of reds. However, a new government was established that relied on people's representation from all of the blood types. Representatives are elected and an even split of red and silvers is maintained in the people's assembly. It is a mountainous country which provides natural defenses against foreign invaders. The country has an open border policy and accepts anyone, red or silver, looking to live in a blood-equal society. Immigrating silvers must swear to uphold the ideals of blood equality. The country also allows same-sex marriage, unlike the surrounding countries. There are raiders that live in the mountains, silvers, who would not accept the change in government. There are also bison. That's it for the new characters. Marissa, do you want to pick up with the plot?
0: Yes. So... The finale of the series War Storm picks up right where King's Cage left off. The Battle of Corvium was bloody and brutal and in the aftermath Mayor struggles to cope with all of the lives that she has taken as the adrenaline from battle starts to wear off. So we meet with she, her, uh, Premier Davidson and General Farley discussing their plan in an alley. Montfort and the Scarlet Guard are planning to allow the Silvers to destroy themselves from within and even though Mayor is heartbroken that Cal has elected to take the crown and become the king of Norta, she agrees to serve the Scarlet Guard and General Ert, uh, Premier Davidson, in whatever way they need, but Cal must not be killed in the process. Cal is in desperate need of allies, supplies, and soldiers if he is going to take back the rest of Norta from Maven. So in an attempt to gain all of these things, Cal... Evangeline, Annabelle, his grandmother, and Julian Jacobs traveled to Montfort with Premier, Davidson, um, Farley, and Mayor, where they will make a plea with the Montfortan People's, Government, or People's Assembly to provide them with an army. Meanwhile, Maven and Iris are scheming to disrupt the hold that Montfort has in Piedmont by uh, holding Prince Bracken's children hostage. Uh, and Iris, who also has ulterior ulterior motives uh, for her plan, is to win the loyalty of the Piedmont Prince by leading the rescue team to save his children. herself, with the ultimate goal of uh, being, with the ultimate goal being to eventually allow the Lakelands to overtake Norta, adding it to their empire. Evangeline becomes increasingly dissatisfied with her circumstances, and when she sees Premier Davidson living happily in Montfort. With, her, with his husband, she begins to realize that there are alternatives to her arranged marriage with Cal. During a dinner hosted by Davidson's husband, Carmadon, raiders attack Montfort, and Davidson uses this as an opportunity for Cal to prove that he is willing to fight for Montfort as well. This attack was actually arranged by Iris, though, and that allowed her and her team to sneak into Montfort. And rescue Prince Bracken's children, and then they later escape. The next day, our friends meet with the People's Assembly, where they agree to and they agreed to provide Cal with what he needs to take Norta. However, Evangeline begins to understand that this situation is really this is what it is. The Montforts have the Montfortons have no intention of allowing another king to rule. Cal, Mayor, and company return to Ridge House in the Ridge, where Evangeline is happily reunited with her lover, Elaine. She begins to question her circumstances more and more, and while there, the Nortons receive word that the Piedmont base, where the Scarlet Guard and Montfort had been stationed, has been overtaken by maven, with reds and new bloods, and Scarlet Guard either dead, hiding in the swamps, or held captive. Farley... Ever the planner has wired the base with explosives, and Mayor and Farley are able to use Abram to negotiate by communicating through him and his sibling um, to negotiate the release of the captives in exchange for not blowing the base up. Army now at hand. Cal lays siege to Harbor Bay while Mayor and friends attack Newtown, one of the tech towns where Reds are basically enslaved. Newtown is won by the Scarlet Guard, but Killorn is nearly killed in the process after he's pushed down a set of stairs by Sil- Silver's intent on stopping there. Once she ensues that Killorn, ensures that Killorn will live, Mayor takes off for Harbor Bay, where Iris is waging a battle to keep Harbor Bay out of Cal's hands. Cal is te- teleported to the battleship where Iris is positioned, but he is terrified of water and although they are both formidable opponents, Cal falls into the sea. He is rescued, but very nearly dies um, from drowning. Healers have to work to save him. And Harbor Bay is won by Cal in the Scarlet Guard, although Iris has destroyed a lot of property in the process. Cal still plans to take the crown and Mir still wants democracy for Norta, but after almost dying, they both seek comfort from each other. Even know, they recognize their situation as being very temporary. They briefly reunite. Maven receives a message from Cal inviting him to meet. They all recognize this, for what it is. This is a meeting that will not resolve in the way that they want. There's no way that Maven will surrender, and Cal is not going to accept any alternative that doesn't end with him being king, but he tells Mare that he just needs to see Maven one more time to make sure that he really is unable to be saved, that his brother really is gone, and so they meet on a small island near Harbor Bay in a ring of silent stone, and Mare is very nearly debilitated by her terror uh, under the influence of the silent stone things go as anticipated maven refuses to surrender however it is revealed that cal's grandmother annabelle and uncle julian have been doing some scheming of their own so they've been collaborating with iris iris and her mother queen senra subdue maven and trade him for salen iral who's the silver who murdered iris's father and then Iris and Sinra murder Salen. Evangeline realizes, though, that a trade of Maven for Salen is not an even trade and that her father, Volo, is undoubtedly part of this trade, too. Knowing that her father will likely die, she struggles with deciding to allow things to unfold or to warn her father. Maven is now captive, leaving Cal open to take the throne of Norta they immediately begin making plans for a coronation in the capital of Nor- if Norta, Archion. However, this is where the Scarlet Guard reveals the rest of their plan. They will not support Cal as king. He can choose to abdicate and the Scarlet Guard will stay and support him, but he risks the alliances with the silvers that he's made or he can take the throne and the Scarlet Guard will withdraw their support leaving him extremely vulnerable to attack from the lake lands. Guess what he chooses? The throne. However, he does agree to end the conscription into the army that was mandatory for Reds and to raise the wages for Reds. The Scarlet Guard withdraws to Montfort with Mayor Farley and Davidson teleporting out of the castle, taking Maven with them. Cal is actually a little bit relieved as he cannot stomach the idea of executing his brother. Julian pleads with Cal to read his mother Corianne's diary, and Cal eventually does, but so it's very hard for him to do, and he learns that his mother never actually wanted for him to be king, but to bring peace to Norta. Montfort, now that it has separated its alliance with Norta, is planning to overtake Archion, liberating it from the rule of a monarch. However, Iris and Sinra Signet are also planning to overtake Archeon, adding Norta to their empire. The Scarlet Guard needs to get into the city, but the underground tunnels were mostly destroyed by Maven, and only he knows which ones are still operational, so he makes a bargain with the Scarlet Guard to lead them into the tunnels that will allow them into the city, but they have to take him with them, and they reluctantly agree. Meanwhile, in Archeon, the Lakelanders begin their attack, and Evangeline realizes that no matter the outcome of the battle... If she remains loyal to her father, she will not end up with Elaine or with an empire. She realizes that she loves her brother and Elaine more than the idea of a throne or of having power. And so she asks her father, Volo, to let her go. And when he denies her, she attempts to make an escape. but She is attacked by her mother's wolves. And then Ptolemus comes to the rescue. He kills them. He injures their father and they escape the city on Maven's hidden train under the treasury. The Scarlet Guard, Maven, and Mare make their way through the tunnels to the treasury that the city is under attack. The treasury is bombed as soon as they get out of it and Maven uses that opportunity to escape on foot. Farley and Cal communicate via radio and she offers to help him if he'll abdicate the throne and dissolve the monarchy and he agrees to and the Scarlet Guard lays siege to the Lakelander ships which are now using the river that bisects the capital to split the town in half. In the midst of all of this, Julian uses his singing ability to compel Volo Samos to walk off the bridge connecting the two sides of Archion that has now been destroyed by the Lake Landers, where Volo falls to his death, landing on the deck of Iris and Sinra's ship, thus completing the deal that they made with Annabelle and Julian. The signets are unsatisfied and want to overtake Archion, but the Scarlet Guard comes through with the immersive ships and underwater rep- weaponry, which they use to begin destroying the Lakeland ships. And Lakeland, the Lakeland forces reluctantly retreat. Mayor pursues Maven, chasing him into a room of silent stone. Maven refuses to go down without a fight, and Mayor refuses to allow Maven to continue to live. So they fight abilities muted by the silent stone to the death. And that's all I'm going to say without revealing how the book ends. If you want to know more, you can read the book or you can keep listening and we'll spoil it for you. So from here on out, spoilers abound.
1: So what did you think of this book, Marissa?
0: I like the way it wrapped things up. There were some things that I wish we had gotten some more closure on, although there is another book that it's called Broken Throne that has several novellas in it which is supposedly helpful in kind of wrapping up and bringing closure to a lot of the characters so I liked it um, I liked it but I wish that there had been some more more available closure to the end of a series what did you think?
1: I thought it was very long and <laughs> there was a lot of I guess, up and down to it. So there were really boring parts. Like I fell asleep multiple times reading this book. (laughs) And then you would have these really exciting parts, these attacks on like Harbor Bay that I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then after I finished that, I fall back asleep. Maybe I was really tired. (laughs) I don't know. I just felt like the book was really up and down with what was going on. There were a lot of, a lot of, descriptive passages that I felt like didn't really need to be in there. Um, Yeah. I think it could have been like 200 pages shorter and-
0: Yeah. There were quite a few descriptive passages that I really like either skipped or skimmed
1: very quickly. Yeah. I did did like the ending as -hmm. we talked about. Um, I thought the ending was appropriate i was like you i less thrilled there was closure with some of the characters especially evangeline mm-hmm. but i also felt again we were given a really unsatisfying death of a villain we didn't see him yeah. die no nope. so
0: and i didn't want him to die
1: <laughs> that's true it would that's have
0: been so <laughs> I wanted him to live or to get better or something. Okay. So this is, and I, my feelings about Maven changed a lot as we came through this series. So I went from like feeling really bad for him in the first book to feeling betrayed by him at the end of the first book and horrified by him in the second book. And then third book is like, well, now I feel really bad for you. And then we get to this one and it's like, well, this is terrible. I know he's a bad guy, but I just want to give him a
1: hug. <laughs> <laughs> I know you just want to hug him better, you know? Yeah, a hug will make you better. You just... just make you better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a couple really just tragic things that Maven said in this book as well that just made my heart hurt for him, yeah. and one of them was so late in the book after he's with the Scarlet Guard after they take him from Cal and they have uh, Titan is just kind of in the room so when he sees Titan he's intimidated by him and scared and he says you think I can't lie through pain He and something like I've done it before yeah and that just made me really sad because he's referencing his mother and your mother shouldn't treat like that no it made me real sad it made
0: yeah I mean, a lot of stuff, like, every time he thinks about Thomas, he gets, like, a splintering headache. Yes. That's terrible. It makes me wonder if it was some, like, awful sort of, like, conditioning that his mom did to try to get, like, if she couldn't remove it from his mind, did she create this, like, conditioned response to get him to not think about Thomas because it would cause him pain. And then his actual death.
1: Just glossed over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's another one of those not very descriptive she stabs him somewhere and he dies and
1: she almost dies and i agree i think that because she was able to also take away his love for his brother and his father mm-hmm. i think there, i think she did condition him to feel pain when he thought about thomas mm-hmm. and i think added on to that so he already felt pain because he felt guilt from mm-hmm. thomas because it was his fault that thomas died And then with his mother trying to remove, I guess, Thomas's memory Mm -hmm. from him and not being able to, it just, it's just a whole bunch of trauma stacked on top of each other Mm -hmm. and poor thing. And you get these moments where you can
0: see he's like unraveling, like definitely struggling mentally too. So there's, when he gets captured, when, actually, I can't remember when this happens, but there's It's when he's captured and he's talking, like he's muttering to himself. He's like, I did everything you said, I did everything you said. And it's like that his mom is still talking, like she still has control of his brain. She's still talking to him in his mind and
1: he can't turn it off. Yeah, and at one point he's in silent stone and he's happy, sort of he can't hear his mom anymore, which is, it's just heartbreaking you know, to have somebody else invade your mind like that, and even after their death, they're still there, and they've twisted you into who knows what you could have been, you know? They've twisted yeah. you into something monstrous. So, and he probably could have been a nice sweet guy. Yeah. So, it's a shame.
0: It's really sad.
1: I yeah. mean, it just,
0: it makes me really sad, because he, I don't know, And all of this potential. And that at one point, when Farley is talking to him, this is actually one of my favorite quotes, she said, I think it's Farley that's talking to him, and she says, it's a pity you have no soul, Maven Kaelor. You could have been someone worth saving.
1: That's... Yes. Oh. I really wish Yeah, I really wish there was a way to have saved him or something. And another part where it just... I felt so bad for him when he asked to be buried by his mother, like next to his mother. That was so sad. So I think he probably views his mother as being one person who loved him, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know how much affection she really showed him, but it, you know, she at least said, I'm sure told him that she loved him and said, I am probably said things like, I'm the only one who will ever love you. I could see that being something that happened. And so he wants to be buried near her. So sad. it is sad
0: and then there was another i think you made another note on top of that where it's like he wants mayor to be the one that kills him she wants her to do it in the same way that he killed she killed his mother and you you made a note that you felt like mayor was being too harsh about the situation like he was trying to unravel her basically but you don't right. feel that way
1: Right. I think in that moment, it was more about him and his feelings, not him being like, "Ah, oh, this is going to be my last like, screw you sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Make you kill me. I think there were several things, several reasons. I I was wondering, maybe he wants to know what it was like, to how his mother died, you know, mm-hmm. like what that was like. And yeah. to marry somebody that he loved, is kind of obsessed with, has whatever feelings he has towards her. So maybe he wants to just die by her hand because of his right feelings i don't know how much of it is because especially towards the end he's not as i don't want to say he's not as manipulative because he does kind of manipulate his way out of you know mm-hmm. the scarlet guard's hands but yeah i just felt like in that moment when he's talking about how he's gonna die i just i don't feel like he's thinking about what it's necessarily gonna do to mayor because if think about it if you're talking about your execution how, are you really going to be thinking about anybody but yourself
0: yeah Well, not only that, in that scene, Cal is asking all of the other leaders, what do you do when someone commits treason? Punishment is execution by all of them. And so maybe in some way, I know that Maven's ability to love his brother is kind of skewed at this point, but maybe in some way, this is him. If he's asking Mayor to do it, maybe
1: that's him protecting Cal from having to be the person that kills him. Right. I agree. I don't think it was just I, I just I don't feel like it was his like a way to hurt Mayor. Stick it to her one more time. Yeah. Yeah. I just I don't feel that way. How did you feel? How did you interpret that
0: scene? I mean I could see it from Mayor's perspective because she has to, I feel like Mare has had to do a lot of fighting to not turn into like and this. and the same has come up several times like she doesn't want to turn into a monster she's talked to cameron about being able to kill and not let it turn you into a monster and so i feel like and she has had even though it's it's sort of an uh, she had a really allegedly she had really strong feelings about about maven and so i can't understand i mean apparently she loved him i didn't (laughs) I didn't feel it in the first book when she said it happened, like when she was in love with him, but I I felt it in the last book when they had more. I don't know, but I, I could see her. Feel it. And because she has been so manipulated by Maven, I could see from her perspective, feeling like it was just one more way for him to manipulate her. But just because she felt that doesn't mean that that was actually his intention behind it right although she said <laughs> but since the first like the, since the the second book she's being saying like we got to kill maven i'm gonna be the one to kill maven and then the time comes and she's like no i don't want to do that <laughs> and then she kills him anyway and then she kills him anyway <laughs> she stabs it <him. laughs> Oh, man. Like, this is your time to shine, babe.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> no,
0: I was wrong. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Which, okay. But I mean, that's been her, like, especially in the second book with Cal, she was like, we got to kill Maven. I'm going to kill Maven. And then the third book, she was like, I got to stop talking about killing Maven in front of Cal so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that it, and she talks about this in, when in that scene, when they're in that room of silent stone and Maven has got the upper hand on her for a little bit. And she's like, this is it. This is how it ends. Just a, like a, a red week, a weak red girl or something. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that it, it does come down to not having the ability, not having them not being able to use their powers. And it makes me, you know, in a bunch of the other books that we read, when the the main characters have magical powers, they also train. Like they, they use, they they take advantage of their other abilities, strength and agility wise, their ability to defend themselves, in like combat, not relying on their powers so much. And that's not something that Mayor has done. Through since she discovered that she has lightning, she just wants to rely on her lightning abilities. Which if you have lightning that's fantastic, but clearly you're going to end up in these situations where you can't use your abilities. And what do you do? Almost die. Almost die several times. (laughs) Even in this book, Titan gives her a gun at one point and she's like, I don't need it. I'm just going to use my lightning. And He's like, there are (laughs) silence. There's still silence out there who can silence your ability. You, You can't just rely on the lightning. I feel like that's a lesson she didn't learn
1: she didn't even like in i think it was the second book she could have spent so much time trying to even master her powers like she didn't even have much effort into mastering her own powers she's like i have the lightning i'm fine yeah and then she finally what is the third book i guess she's Mm -hmm. like oh yeah i guess i can i can train yeah
0: like come on like learn some hand-to-hand combat (laughs) yes learn how to shoot a gun or hold a knife or
1: whatever like this (laughs) also uh in the beginning of the book Mare says this i love you as a promise we both made and we both broke it should mean i choose you above all else i want you more i need you always i cannot live without you i will do anything to keep our lives from parting oh that bugged me so much (laughs) okay (laughs) that's a really toxic way of looking at a relationship. Yeah, <laughs> and I really hate that it's in a young adult book yeah. because loving someone doesn't mean you always have to choose them. They may like, and that not choosing them doesn't mean that you don't love them. Yeah, you know, which is what yeah, that's absolutely. not what that means.
0: Well, this is more of that, like obsessive. Just, dis- I mean, just that sentence out of contact sounds more like that obsessive type of love that we associate more with like what, how Maven views mayor. Like I I need you always. I cannot live without you. I will do anything to keep us from parting to the point that I'm going to brand you and hold you hostage. So, and I also, I mean, this is not, I agree. This is not a healthy descriptor of love and it takes more to make a relationship work than just being in love with someone. I mean, love is important, but there's also like trust and mutual respect and all of these other things. And so I have, I like love stories, but when it comes to stuff like this, I have a really big problem because it takes more than love to make a relationship work. And I think, I think that gets missed. Also, you can, you can love someone and, and not be meant to be with them.
1: Yes. I think that's a great point too. And certain people that you love at one point in your life, you know, they fit you in that moment in your life and don't fit in a later moment, you know? Right. Yeah.
0: This is the problem that I have with like the idea of soulmates, mm-hmm. Uh um, the idea that there's only one person that's going to be meant for you for your entire life. People change things. And, you know, even if it's not like some people you experience trauma, you experience different things in your life that maybe your partner doesn't experience. And so while they're a good fit for you at one part in your lives, that doesn't guarantee that they're meant to be with you for the rest of your life. But I I hate the idea that there's only one person meant for each person forever. Like, (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I, you mean, And it's also stressful. That's a stressful thought. It is a only stressful one thought. person. What if them. you pick the wrong person? Like, right? I think, <laughs> I think you can kind of like mold someone into your soulmate if that makes sense. So, you know, uh, Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. Yeah, I think they're a great relation or a great example of a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, they are open with each other. About their problems. They go to therapy when they are feeling like, you know, issues in their relationship to keep the communication open. They actively work on their relationship as they grow, as they change, as Mm -hmm. problems come up. And in that way, you know, you can experience different things, but you can grow together in that sense as well. So you can kind of maybe like mold someone or like be molded as well. Yeah keep somebody in your life like that that you love but if you're just like i love you that's enough no it's no, not no it's and not. it doesn't mean and loving someone doesn't mean that you have to tether yourself to them mm-hmm. and that you have to sacrifice your own happiness to be with them right agree 100% i think
0: that i think that the definitions for love are get so skewed by like what you see Uh, like in tv or book or movie representations that it's not not and it's the same way with like a lot I guess a lot of the things that we read and about in a book like it's fiction Mm -hmm. it's not this is not a real life representation and making it taking those things and making it trying to apply it to a real life
1: it doesn't work so I guess our PSA this week is that loving someone does not always mean choosing them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, there's another quote about love later on that is more just an example of how much Killorn has grown. So I felt like we saw a lot of growth in him in this book. Yeah. He's not self-depreciating, but he's like jokes about it. And mm-hmm. then he was also able to offer Mare some wisdom too, which was, mind-blowing because this is what he says I would never call loving someone else a weakness I think living without love at all any kind of love is a weakness and the worst kind of darkness that came out of Killorn yeah like go Killorn Mm
0: -hmm. Killorn really experienced a lot of growth in the series which I like you know he went from this like fearful and then antagonistic man-child to i mean he, he really grows up a lot in the book not just like maturity wise and becoming aware of his limitations instead of always wanting to rush into the most dangerous situation and resenting mayor when she tells him no like he starts to recognize these i i'm actually probably not well suited to going into this position and i may actually die if i do this and he um he you know just as the series goes on he he learns to read first of all that's huge he learns to like develop uh bonds with the reds and the new bloods and he takes on a lot more responsibility i mean he really grows up mm-hmm. which i like because he was such a butthead in the first two books <laughs>
1: I agree, and I think that quote there that he said, I was just like, I was still thinking of Kilorn as being like, I don't want to say like kid, but you know, just being this immature guy. Mm -hmm. And he did definitely have growth, but when he said that, I was like, what? Yeah, good for you with some insight and stuff. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was was impressed impressed. with his
0: character because I really did not like him Mm -hmm. at the start of the series, and
1: especially in book two. Yeah. I did at one point find myself being like, Mayor, just love him. He'd be much easier. Yeah. <laughs> he would be the easier one to deal with other than <laughs> Maven and Cal. Just just love him. Yeah. Yeah. Not putting yourself through this. Yeah. I wonder if she
0: ever, I mean, she does never write it. So I guess that she never really thought about it. But she makes a couple of, Mayor makes a couple of comments about those K Lore boys. And I thought, you know. <laughs> Maybe you should just settle down with a nice little farm hand or something.
1: You know what made me sad? The part where Maven is like thinking or talking about uh, how his mom showed him Cal kissing Mare. Yeah. And then dancing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Although makes, it's yeah. interesting that he put most of the blame there on Cal. Yeah. He didn't really say anything about Mayor's betrayal, but he did. He was like Cal taking something that was, once again isn't his. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and that goes back to Mayor just being a possession for him. Hmm. This toy that he can't live without.
1: So at once, so when they go to that meeting after Harbor Bay, she picks something specifically that shows off the M. Yeah. Right to mess with him. That. But- what was the quote with that? It was um to remind him that he's a monster, but is it is it reminding him that he's a monster, or is it reminding him that she belongs to him? I feel like he wouldn't view it. I don't does he regret it?
0: I don't know. I think he like she says that it unsettles him when he when she like so in my mind, when I'm reading these passages where she's picking dresses that show off her brand, like it's <laughs> My brain just makes it very ridiculous, like her, you know, clutching her neckline and drawing it down so that the crowd can see the M, (laughs) like, jutting her collarbone forward. (laughs) It's just, and it doesn't read that way, but
1: my brain makes it very, like, soap opera. Again, I don't... Um, I feel like Mare's narrative is, I don't think she's a very good narrator. Evangeline, I love her narration, mm-hmm. right? And I loved seeing other characters through her eyes because she's so harsh. Yeah, she is. It cracks yeah. me up.
0: It's pretty great. She sees Mare at one point and she's like, You look terrible. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> Oh, That's great. And then she sees Mara's sister, right? And instead of being like, oh, she's pretty. Like everyone talks about how pretty mm-hmm. uh, she is. She's like, she's a plain type of pretty. Yeah. <laughs> a red pretty. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> yeah. I loved her point of view. Was I did great. too. Her chapters were really good in this book. So Evangeline finally, you know, she takes a point, she she gets to the point where she evolves a little bit more in this book than she did in the last book. So in the last book, she's still very, very self-serving. And I mean, well, she's still really self-serving in this book too, but she starts to make decisions for herself. She stops uh, deferring to her father to rule her life for her, which I love. Like you go, sister, make those decisions for her for yourself. She starts to recognize that loving people is not a weakness. She makes a comment about, you know, in the beginning of the book, she's watching Mary say goodbye to her family. And she goes on about how it's disgusting and so emotional and blah. But then she, by the end of the book, she's like, you know, she realizes that having her brother, loving her brother, having her brother love her back, it's not shameful and it's not something to be weak. And she wishes that she could have more of that type of relationship with her family. Um, And she, she comes to realize that, she values the loving relationships that she has with Ptolemy and with Elaine more than just having a throne and power. And I like that. I like that for her. And I like that she stands up to her family. And I like that she, you know, goes after what she wants. Finally, I really like Premier Davidson, Me even too. if he does meddle in other people's governments. <laughs> I think he's very, very clever and very good at like political strategy. That whole when they're after they take Harbor Bay and Cal's like, and they have the armies and Cal's like, okay, time to make capital in Norta, and the and Premier Davidson's like, well, actually,
1: <laughs> we don't want another Monarch, <laughs> but that's actually that's like what we do in other countries. <laughs> we're gonna support you and you put the wrong person in charge so good luck <laughs> you, you picked wrong
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I think
0: he's really clever with his scheming he does something else I can't remember what it I do like that like he and Cal they may be the leaders of their country but they're not hiding behind their soldiers when it comes to battle they're like out there with them Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that they do that, and they
1: are not just using their people as a front. Um, oh, you had an interesting note here about whether or not you'd want to be Cal's consort.
0: <laughs> Would you want to be Cal's consort? Well, I don't really like Cal, so no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's no way. I can't. So, let's say. Nothing works out the way anybody wants it to. Evangeline ends up being forced to get married to Cal. She can't be with Elaine because now they're separated because Elaine is married to Ptolemus, who's going to be the ruler of the ridge or the rift. Um, I cannot imagine how unpleasant Evangeline would be. <laughs> and I, there's no way I would choose to be Cal's consort if it meant having to be around unpleasant evangeline for the rest of my life (laughs) (laughs) yeah like this pissed off
1: lady with metallic dresses nope (laughs) pass you know what there also wasn't a ton of follow up on I felt like the whole the silvers are cursed by gods right gods cursed there wasn't first off then there's no gods in Norta but there are in the lake so I thought maybe something was gonna happen what I felt like that wasn't really followed up on, especially after, you know, so he wrote that. I thought maybe there would be some follow-up on the whole gods thing. But then later on in the book, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff about how Norda doesn't have any gods.
0: Yeah. You know what I thought there would be follow-up on? Mm -hmm. The radiation. You know, they mentioned that there are territories that are not accessible to them anymore because of all of the radiation. What happened?
1: No, remember, that's what they claimed in, like, the first book. They said, oh, but who makes you think that there's radiation? Um,
0: but there radiations? was radiation at some point. And it wasn't, no, it wasn't the Silvers who were claiming that there was radiation when there wasn't. It was the Reds who were making the radiation detectors. Who right. were manipulating them. Yeah, but they never, like, where did the radiation come from? Was there a bomb?
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. You wanted to know where it came
0: from. Yes. Was there an apocalypse? Uh, Like where, I know that there's, the radiation's not a problem anymore, but like when there was, what started that? I don't know. Is this a post-apocalyptic, like, is it an atom bomb? Like what, like, I found myself feeling really oddly protective of Maven in this book Especially when Iris is scheming against him and plotting his downfall. And I don't know how to feel about it because he's their bad guy. Yeah. He's like my sweet baby with some mental health issues, and I just want to protect him.
1: Yeah. I, I think it was combined with having high hopes for Iris, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden we we're like empathetic or whatever to Maven. Mm-hmm. So the combination of those, because I felt the same way. I was like, you should just run away. Like, don't just go away from him. You don't leave. Yeah. Leave him alone. He's suffering enough. Yeah. Don't add to his pain. (laughs) Poor boy. Yeah. And then
0: the high hopes for Iris. Mm -hmm. They just fell so far. (laughs) I know. Oh, also, I don't really like Iris's mother. She's really arrogant. Mm-hmm. They keep And they go back to this several times. Like, we don't need to be worried about the Reds. We don't need to... Like, are you even paying attention to what's happening?
1: Yeah, I know. Clearly,
0: you need to be worried about the Reds. The Scarlet Guard originated in your country.
1: <laughs> yeah. And what? Iris sees it. And Iris yeah. is, like, begging her mother. And her mother's like, no, that's not no. going to happen. What you... Yeah. Yes. Yes. There are so many more of them. Yeah.
0: Clearly you should be... No, I'm not worried about it. We'll squash them. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. are you sure? The Scarlet Guard, I love their evolution in the story too. So they kind of, they come off really ragtag in the first book. Mm -hmm. Right? Like Farley Mm -hmm. even gets captured and it's like, well, that's not... And then she like, even though she questions betting her whole plan on a teenage love story, she does it anyway. So... Not presenting the best front there, but now in the end, like they they come off as very well organized. They have a good leadership structure. Like it's very, so I liked seeing that as like a legitimate uh, source of rebellion instead of just like a ragged group of people with red band like bandanas. <laughs> but I loved in the final battle scene when so. Iris and Sinra are using their water abilities to raise the river. Right. Yeah. And so Farley, you know, she comes up and like, they're all in Archeon and, um, The water keeps rising and Cal's like, should we be concerned? And Farley's like, you just keep underestimating the Scarlet Guard. We needed them to raise the water this much. And then the submarines come in and they just start blowing the Lakeland boats up.
1: Yes. I I love love that. (laughs) So great. I love that. Although... (laughs) What did it, so there was, um, they said that there were, like, thousands of Lakelander troops, like, under the boat, you know, like, in yeah. uh, below deck, well, it was like, they just killed a whole bunch of people, because you know, shooting. yeah, they just, like, decimated their yeah. Navy, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Pretty intense, that was great, I was so glad that those came back. Yes. The story me too
0: i love that that was such a great you know i mean and that again underestimating the the power of the reds mm-hmm. like they have the weaponry i think it's funny that everything that's just so they talk about how indulgent like the silvers are it made me laugh when everything that they described them wearing was like covered in jewels of some kind like it reminded me of the face mask people now wear now that are covered in sequins like we Let's just bedazzle everything. <laughs> <laughs> like Iris is talking about her father's armor at one point and it's got like sapphires embedded to it into the armor. That is the most impractical addition to armor that I can think of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's true.
0: It's stupid. <laughs> it is. Let's just get our little bedazzler out and the money I can't imagine mm-hmm. the money that is spent just casually adding, like, rubies to a dress. Yeah. Okay. It fits with who the Silvers are, though. It does. It fits with who the Silvers are. It's just yeah. so, <laughs> gosh, it, it sounds gaudy. It
1: does. It sounds so ugly. It does.
0: Also, I could never wear a dress like that. (laughs) I would be so anxious about sitting down. Like I'm going to dislodge one of these carefully sewn on rubies and diamonds. That's on my dress. Who knows where it's going to go? Okay. So we have that meeting at Harbor Bay with Maven. And Farley is talking to the queen, Sinra Signet. I think it's who she says this to. She says, are you so threatened by the people you spit on that you can't allow them simple freedom? Which is outstanding and queen senra is like visibly shocked because how dare like she never been talked to that way before again so arrogant I, I really don't like her but also farley is just outstanding and then julian says to her the years are long but eventually always fortunes shift the people rise such is the way of things either let change come willingly help it along or face the wrath of such forth such horse. it might not be you or even your children but the day will come when reds storm the gates of your castles break your crowns and slit the throats of your descendants as they beg for the mercy that you will not show now i love loved that
1: it that's probably one of the best quotes in the entire series if not it, it was great it was so great and it made me forgive julian a little bit <laughs> me too because that was amazing yeah it's so
0: yeah i agree mm-hmm. i think you know i there are like I, I sort of wonder if maybe julian could see that Cal was going to get to the point where he was willing to abdicate the throne because of the journal that belonged to Cal's mother because, and so he was trying to help, like he was trying to get mayor to maybe not be so hard on him because he knew that Cal was eventually going to change his mind and he was trying to save Cal some heartache. But I I think Cal needed that rejection from mayor. He needed that challenge from her to realize like, because if she had just gone along with it, I don't know Mm -hmm. that he would have changed his mind so readily about being king. I think it was good for, I mean, it was good to see this moment from Julian too, because a lot of times we just see him hiding behind books or in libraries. And so for him to come out with something this powerful to say is a really strong moment for his character.
1: So after Cal takes back the throne and Premier Davidson tells him that they won't support unless he abdicates, he does give in to the concession of, okay, well, we'll, you know, get rid of the conscription, right? They don't have to join the army and then I'll push for fair wage. And it's like, okay, but that's, <sighs> it just bugs me because mm. you get a little bit and I feel like they feel like that's enough. Yeah. You know, it's, you're still oppressing people. Mm-hmm. and Now you've given them just something that you can go but look at this nice thing I did for you. Now you're not forced to join the military. But at the same time, they're still oppressed enough that probably joining the military might be their best option. But I did a nice thing for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, not even just governments. That could be tied to relationships and friendships (laughs) and abusive relationships, whatever. It could just be really tied to anything. Like, I got you a present. I mean, yeah, I know I beat you last night, but look at this present I got you.
0: Yeah. Especially applicable. That's how things go a lot of times in relationships that are like that. Like, I'm sorry I hurt you, but I got you this, whatever. And I promise I'm never going to do it again until mm-hmm. it happens again. Yeah. So here's something that annoyed me about pretty much every character in this book except Maven. And it's a li- like it didn't bother me about Maven because he doesn't feel bad about anything that he does. When. <laughs> Like every single person in this book was like, wow, it feels really bad to have a conscience. I feel (laughs) bad for killing people. (laughs) Iris is like, she kills Salem Irol, and later was like, huh, I don't actually feel very satisfied after murdering this person. I'm having all of these uncomfortable feelings. congratulations (laughs) congratulations <laughs> you have a conscience it tells you you did a bad thing and you should feel bad <laughs> like and I, I feel like every most of the characters in this book have a moment like that where it's like wow i feel bad about the decisions that i made
1: you should
0: you should
1: <laughs> yeah um his death though was bothered me did it bother you? Like, the description of it? Oh, yeah. Right? It yeah. was messed up. It was. It was he was basically, up like, waterboard. waterboarded. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. He was waterboarded to death.
0: Yeah, and he, d- he didn't put up any resistance because Julian had sung him into submission. Right. Uh, yeah. There was something, like, disturbing about his... Yeah, it was pretty yeah. troubling. And then Iris is disappointed. Like, later, she's like, this didn't feel satisfying. He couldn't even fight back. Ugh. So, what I liked was one of the things that I liked was when Mayor encounters John while she's climbing that mountain. And John is like, Killoran's master dying was really the catalyst for all of this action that you took, right? And so we find out that John is the one that got all of this started. And I think that is such a great twist to the plot. It's the linchpin moment. If this one thing wouldn't have happened, None of this other stuff would have happened.
1: Mm-hmm. I wish we had seen more of John, honestly. Yeah,
0: I would have liked like to
1: an see- interesting character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have liked to see more of him in this, just because of his power. And I, you know, I wonder if you had that power though, if you would go crazy. Yeah,
0: he talks about it a little bit in his section in the book, too. You know, Mayor's giving him a hard time about the decisions that he's made and the people he's di- that have died because of him. And he's like, Would you want this? Would you want this burden? Would you want this ability? I didn't think so. Like, it would, I don't, yeah, I can't imagine the guilt that you would have. Yeah. Knowing that no matter what decision you make, somebody's going to suffer. It's, the choosing the lesser evil that reminds me of the witcher a little bit lesser greater (laughs) middling (laughs) but yeah i mean choosing the well okay if i pick this path these people are gonna die but the long-term future is a better outcome versus like and he mentions this with uh with mayor like if this happens Norta is going to be under Lakeland rule for the next hundred years. And there will be bloodshed. Like you can't even imagine like mm-hmm. the burden. I still think the most satisfying death for me up to this point was Samson Miranda's death. It was probably the best one. Alara's was kind of anticlimactic, even this one. I mean, it's great that he's dead. Cause he was a terrible person who used his kids and was basically like emotionally bu- abusive to them. But it was, I mean, he still just like walked off a deck and, or walked off a bridge and landed on their, their ship.
1: Right. Burst like a grape. And so (laughs) is that the description used by the end? I was definitely (laughs) skimming. Is that the description that she used?
0: (laughs) I don't know. She definitely talks about his head splitting open, (laughs) but uh, yeah, Samson Miranda's death is still like the most satisfying death for me. Cause Mm -hmm. he like actually, you know, Volo's Samson actually tortured Mayor and mm-hmm. other people, so it was a very good, like, moment of justice
1: overall. What did you think of the ending? Um, I mean,
0: I liked it. I liked that Mayor and Cal didn't end up together, that it didn't just tie up into like a happily ever after type of situation. Um, I like that. I mean even though it is sort of an open-ended ending that's realistically probably the best sort of circumstance for these things to, to play out in because you know revolution revolutionizing a government doesn't happen overnight and so if it you know was kind of all tied up in like a nice little bow it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been like a more realistic for even for fantasy it wouldn't have been like a more realistic ending and I mean, I, she could have included an epilogue, like I don't know, thirty years. Ep- yeah, but well, she had ahead. an epilogue, but it was like mayor. It, it was like them all saying goodbye and going back to Montfort. Um, she could have included like a like a second epilogue. Or I don't know, like a like. 30 or 20 years down the road, or it's like, this is what's happening with the government now. But instead of doing that, she wrote a separate book full of novellas. where <laughs> That's how you make more money. <laughs> where she wraps up <laughs> the whole story. <laughs> so I guess that's how you do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I think most of our characters experience some level of growth. Mm-hmm some more than others. I do think Mare. Mare grew up quite a bit. Good. I feel like we've been kind of hard on her. She is just a teenager, you know, <laughs> and she, she does kind of have this moment where she realizes she's not Mayor, She's not Marina. She's not the Lightning Girl. She's all of these people. They're all part of her. She doesn't have to segment her personality into these different people. We're complex beings. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Like the last page. She realizes it. Yeah. No, she, she did. Does. She do a lot. She, she, does. Do, she got there. Yeah. She got there. That's the important And I do part. like
0: that, you know, she keeps putting, like, she's very brave. She keeps putting herself in these really dangerous situations. And she makes a comment about this too. Like, I keep going out, but I keep coming back. So... <laughs> <laughs> Like she, I would not, I would, I, we've talked about this before too, like we are not brave people and we have poor Mm -hmm. tolerance for pain. So we would not put ourselves in the same situations as these characters. So I do, I do like the evolution that she experienced as a character. She goes from being, you know, sort of not secure in who she is to then being pretty mopey to being more confident, more secure, realizing that she's not alone, that she has even as an electron, she's not alone. She has support and, and she's stronger for it. She doesn't have to, even though she likes you, she doesn't, I don't know, I guess, just have to protect everyone all the time. And yeah. She be taken care of too. Yeah.
1: I think she grew a lot and she was, she was a lot better by the end of the book. Um, although she really only had anywhere to, could only go up after that second book. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so angsty. Yeah. But the
0: second book was probably my least favorite book.
1: Yeah. But I mean we saw great growth in Killhorn and oh, yeah, Mare, you know, Farley. Farley was great. Cal. Mm-hmm. There was there was growth all around. It was yeah. it was good. Uh, except for Maven. He he didn't Ugh. do too well.
0: No. But which was a shame. Oh sad. So that concludes our thoughts. On War Storm by Victoria Aveyard. And it also wraps up this series. There's a book of novellas called Broken Throne, but we're not going to go through that because it's a book of novellas. But if you want to read it, go for it. Next week, we'll be covering uh, A Court of Frost and Starlight for our solstice episode and wrapping up sort of the end of the year with our favorite reads and final thoughts for, you know our first few months of having a podcast before we jump into the new year so we hope that you join us for that thanks for listening so this episode will come out during the week of Christmas so Vicki and I want to wish you happy holidays whatever it is that you are celebrating or if you're not celebrating at all we hope that you have a fantastic week thank you for listening to literary quest we hope you enjoyed our episode If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.